everyone, and welcome to the LD Lounge, an unstuffy podcast show and virtual gathering space for anyone who cares about developing people. I'm your host, Yolanda Fraction, and in this episode, I'll be joined by Dr. Britt Andrietta. As the CEO of Seventh Mind Incorporated, Dr. Britt is an internationally recognized thought leader who uses her unique background in leadership, neuroscience, psychology, and learning to create groundbreaking solutions for today's workplace challenges. Dr. Britt is the former chief learning officer for lynda.com, now LinkedIn Learning, and she has over 10 million views worldwide of her courses. She's the author of Wired to Connect and most recently, Wired to Resist. In this episode, you're in for a treat. We're gonna be talking about the hybrid workplace and how to connect virtually and just how to be successful in this ever-changing environment. So stay tuned. This is going to be an amazing show. Dr. Britt, welcome to the L&D Lounge. I'm so excited that you accepted my invitation to come on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Yolanda. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to connect with you today. Awesome. Awesome. I have been following you for quite a bit. Um, I've been learning about your work and recently there was a conference on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and your name was on the program. And I was learning a little bit more about your work. And I was just so excited about how we're wired to connect because I love to be a connector, right? Um, So I've been thinking a lot about that and Malcolm Gladwell and how he talks about connectors. So super enthusiastic to talk about the hybrid report. Um, that was put out. I guess you worked with uh, Voodle. You you worked with Voodle to do that. So today I would love to talk about the the hybrid report that you happen to work with Voodle on. And I would also love to talk about the experience of getting folk back in the office and not a return to work. Have you been hearing that a lot? Returning (laughs) to work? I'm like, no, we've been working the entire pandemic. (laughs) Exactly. It should be returning to the workplace, not returning to work. There we go, returning to the workplace. So everyone who is a talent development director on this call, let's continue to uh, spread that phrase around. I would love to start off with just a little bit of um, learning more about you. I would love to learn more about you. So tell us about yourself. I know that you have this beautiful company that you've created. So I'd love to learn more about that and just how you got to where you are. It looks like you've been in this profession for over 20 years and your career path is just remarkable. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, you know, like all career paths, we, we start off thinking it's going to be one thing and then lots of happy accidents happen and take you in other directions. But I started off working in higher education and started helping you know, focusing in on helping students kind of be their best selves, particularly as they were kind of figuring out who they were in the world. So I did a lot of, um, of, of kind of student success courses, and then I did some leadership development programs, and that, and somewhere in there I wrote a textbook, and I ended up consulting with a lot of universities that were using my textbook. So it was kind of already brewing, and I was there for 20 years and really felt like I had built everything I wanted to build, and I, I, it felt very complete. So I was kind of looking for what's my next step, and it became clear that you know I kind of wanted to leave higher ed but stay in education, and so I had met Linda Weinman, the founder of lynda.com, and she and I had had a couple lunches, and so I, you know, I started talking to her about 
did they have learning and development in their company? It turns out they didn't. And I was like, oh my gosh, let me, let me head that up for you. So I kind of pitched my own job and, and we created it. And I became the chief learning officer at lynda.com. And I really was able to use a lot of the skills I'd already developed, you know, leadership development, helping people develop their leadership skills really transcends, you know, stage in life because we, we, we use them in different ways at different stages in our careers. So that was a lot of fun. And then they were liking the content so much that they filmed me and put it all in the libraries. And then I was having followers around the world, you know, meet me on camera and, and learn about my work. And then it was somewhere in there, I decided to research neuroscience. I already had my PhD, not in neuroscience, um, but I was really fascinated by this new field. And so I started studying how, you know, what, was all, what do all these studies say about how the brain learns? And I was just blown away by what I found. So it became, in, first it was an internal lunch and learn that I gave at the company. And then they were like, oh my gosh, we need to film this and put it in the library. And then, oh my gosh, you need to keynote this at a conference. This needs to be a book. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll turn it into a book. And that's, that was really fun. And then we got acquired by LinkedIn and we were in the middle of the acquisition and everything I knew about change, I was certified in change models. I realized none of them actually worked when you were in the middle of a big change. So I, I thought, well, I wonder what brain science says about change. So that became book number two, Wired to Resist. And then I realized, oh, huh, I guess I'm doing this. I guess I'm now going to be this person who writes books on the brain science of success. And a uh, third book was on teams, Wired to Connect. And then somewhere in there, people started asking me if they could get certified in the models I had created. And that blew me away. I wasn't expecting that. But so many requests came in such a short period of time, I realized it was kind of a nudge from the universe telling me, yeah, you better create a training company. So I did. And <laughs> so that's how we get to today. I actually uh, design and develop brain-based learning solutions that companies can come and purchase and they can get certified and roll them out in their companies. And I'm very thrilled and honored to say I'm a provider to several large global corporations and, and I love the work I do. Wow, what an impactful career. You get to develop people and really help to create change within organizations. I like what you said about how that change seems to always be different when you're in the midst of it. Um, I really think that's really fascinating how thinking a lot about change right now is just it's like we should just embrace it because we've been through so much change over the last year and a half, but we're kind of like change fatigue, some of us, maybe most of us. So I'm really curious, obviously changes are happening very quickly. And number one, one of the changes that's, that's happening right now is we're going back to the workplace, the actual physical building. <laughs> and so I'd love to talk about this report um, that you worked on with Voodle, the Hybrid Workplace yeah. Report 2021. So I'm just thinking there's this lack of human connection that was number one and people were, were just trying to meet the needs of their home life, their work, work life was always there. So, you know, it's just so much that people have been through this year, but at the same time, we're having to make another transition and another change. So I'm very interested in, first off, just why you decided uh, maybe to work with Voodle. Um, and thinking about this, the pandemic has shown us we need we need each other so much and um, whether it be friends or coworkers. So why did you, you know, maybe come about doing the report? What, do you, what were you hoping that would happen um, as a result of the report? 
Yeah, great question. So Voodle approached me, they had read my book Wired to Connect and so knew that I had some research on the brain science of teams and connection and collaboration, all stuff which has been heavily strained in the pandemic. Um, you know, bottom line, we're wired to be a tribal species. We're wired to, to be in physical space with each other. Our brain is designed to read emotions and intent. We're, we're very sensitive to where we are in the tribe. We're, we're very um, tuned into moments of marginalization or exclusion uh, as a species and as a society. So there's all these things that are kind of true about us. And in a lot of ways, we ask people to work in teams without setting them up for success. So they came to me with that idea. And then when I saw the, the product they've built and what, what they're trying to do in terms of really making it, making it so much easier for people to authentically collaborate and connect, it, it felt like a win-win to partner with them. So we really dug into kind of the current state of things. And bottom line, you know, where we are at this point in time is exhausted. People are burned out. People are so tired of all that we've done for the last 18 months. And the exhaustion is on a couple levels. One is we've been literally under threat for survival. There was a virus that could kill you. We saw pictures of people dying. A third of Americans have lost someone due to COVID. It's, you know, it, it's something that has personally touched us all. And we were witnessing it on the news every night and in our communities. And so that threat to survival is a very powerful human reaction that we have. It uses a lot of adrenaline and cortisol. We can kind of dig in and make it work, but it, this has gone on so long. If you think of a typical natural disaster, like a flood or a hurricane or an earthquake, yeah, stuff's really bad, but it's over pretty quickly. And then you start to emerge. This thing has gone on and on. So we're seeing levels of burnout we've never seen before. And in addition to that, you also have change fatigue laid over it which is kind of the exhaustion you get from going through change after change after change without necessarily being able to settle into a new normal. So even before we would start, I would say a lot of people were already change fatigued just because companies roll out so many changes so fast and they're not always thoughtful about how they help people move through them. And then add the pandemic, which was you know, change upon change upon change, and then the physical exhaustion of survival mode. So bottom line, where we are right now is a pretty stressed, stressed out and depleted workforce. And we wanted to talk about that. We wanted to talk about what does it mean to come back together when everyone's exhausted? And honestly, we haven't solved the problem we had before of remote workers feeling disconnected from everybody who was in the office. We were all out of the office. So it, it evened the playing fields, but we haven't solved that problem. So we're at this unique point in time as we, as we go back to the workplace. It's interesting that you said we haven't solved that problem because one thing I've noticed, and this was in the report, is that if your culture was just founded on the snacks and the ping pong tables and all of that, you, you know, you, if that was the glue, you're really not going to be as successful when you have this hybrid environment, which I thought was very insightful because, you know, as somebody who does enjoy the snacks and the sparkling water, that really isn't why I come into the office. Like what I really look forward to, I really look forward to the people, but the people can be in a virtual environment as well. So I'm very curious, like in the past, we've leaned on the office to be that glue and now we're adjusting to things and there's all this going on in our brains that we don't even know about, right, Fred? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that, I mean, there were so many 
really interesting things that happened worldwide, globally, to all of us at the same time this year. I mean, work has been completely upended and it's not going to go back the way it was. So <laughs> we're all kind of looking at this, this new way forward. But one of those for sure was cor corporate culture. You know, if the corporate culture in your organization was really built on giving you free, I call it fun furniture and free food, the four Fs. Um, and those were cool. Trust me, I've been in some of the coolest offices in Silicon Valley where you're like, wow, this is like Disneyland, you know? Wow. But when that's stripped away, what you have left is how people actually treat each other and how much they value innovation, how much respect there is if people really care about inclusion and belonging. So every company was kind of stripped bare to the real core of how folks treat each other. And some companies did great. And those and those employees are have felt really taken care of and they feel loyalty to their company and they want to stay and go back. Others cannot get out the door fast enough. And we are seeing massive, massive, uh, you know, numbers of people quitting their jobs. And, you know, when you realize this company doesn't really care about me or I, they're willing to sacrifice my health and well-being for their bottom line, people want to find something different. The other thing that happened was we all got to take a break from how much busyness goes around going to work, mm. commuting, if you have a dress code and you have to get things dry cleaned all the time, eating lunches out all the time, all of that, right? Um, not being home in your favorite jammies or with your kitty on your lap, drinking your favorite tea. Like some of that's, <laughs> that's been right. kind of cool. And people are like, you know what? I put out really good work. I was probably even more productive this last 12 months than ever before. And no, you're not going to make me put on uh, a suit again and not have my cat. <laughs> Oh my so, gosh, that's awesome. The cat, the cat. <laughs> yeah, the cat's super important. So I think what's interesting is we kind of broke down some of those old habits or social norms and expectations and then overlaid that with people got to see pretty pretty stripped down and bare how much their company really cares for them. And so, yeah, there's a massive shift of employees around the world right now. And I don't think it's going to settle down for several months. Well, you know, I have heard about this phrase. I don't know. You probably have heard about it. It's called the war on talent. When I first heard it, I said, come on, the war on talent? Really? That's a pretty strong word, right? What do you think about that phrase, the war on talent? I mean, you talked about that sense of belonging. We've been talking about the workplace and coming back to that environment. And some folk, maybe not coming back to that environment. But uh, is there a war, war on talent? Is, is that phrase accurate? based on your research and all that you know? So the phrase is the war for talent. Ah, so it has to do with the war, the war for talent. And what it has to do is in certain industries, Silicon Valley is one of them. Like when you have highly technical needs for, for computer coders or engineers, the reality is it's a small labor market. So the companies all end up competing for the same top talent and trying to woo them from each other. And so what it has to, there's a war for talent when you have a highly trained person or a technical skill that there's not a lot of people that have. Right now, the war for talent is honestly cooks and dishwashers in the restaurant industry because so many of those employees went and found other work. They, restaurants are really struggling to fill those positions. So there's a war for talent. They're all now having to compete against each other with better salaries, better benefits, all of that. So a war for talent has always existed within certain industries, but it honestly has been more knowledge worker, you know, uh, 
tech kind of companies. And now we're seeing it actually diversify across a lot of, you know, particularly who we call essential workers. The essential workers got pretty burned out this last year, and many of them were not treated well while they were sacrificing themselves and their health and their families to take care of the rest of us. So I can imagine you're going to see a pretty big war for talent in healthcare, certainly, you know, transportation, certainly, you know, food industries, any business that really didn't get to close and people had to keep facing those risks that that that's going to be kind of new war for talent and then of course the tech jobs never goes away as being a war for talent and those are where the the you know the perks of the fun office and the food you know they couldn't offer that so now that that set of workers has been kind of awakened to how much they may or may not need those perks and they really are demanding more flexible work schedules and different work environments than they had before Thank you. So let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about this sense of belonging. I'd like to go back to that for a moment. I believe all of us will admit that over the last 18 months, we've been seeing um, more talk about Black, Indigenous, people of color, or BIPOCs, I like to call it. So I'd like to chat a little bit about BIPOCs in the workplace and how the virtual space has affected us and just in general, how Um, There may be a gap between what happens for folk who are maybe within a majority white organization and they're white and those people who may be a BIPOC um, like myself. I've certainly been thinking a lot about it Um, in doing your research and everything. And I know you were at the wonderful uh, DEI conference that I happened to be able to attend um, this past spring. Um, But I'd love to see, you know, what are some of your uh, gleanings or or research or insights as it relates to particularly Black, Indigenous, Indigenous people of color in the workplace? Absolutely. And since since we're being listened to, I just want to self-identify. I am a white woman. um, And but someone who was awakened to my privilege in college. So I have been aware of my whiteness and my the privilege, the unearned privilege that I have in that particular identity um, for many, many years. So I wanna frame that because in doing my research, I already had that as a lens, right? Critical race theory and some of these things that are really part of, of helping all of us see things with multiple perspectives. And then when I studied the brain science of what is belonging and inclusion, what was really amazing to me was some research that was done by several neuroscientists who were all at different universities. So they were not working together. And they started to study what happens on an MRI machine when we experience exclusion. And they did mild exclusion. So they had three different people on three different MRI machines with an iPad playing what they called cyber ball. So you're like tossing the ball back and forth with these invisible people you can't see. And then one of the, you know, one of the study participants starts to get excluded. The, the other two people are playing ball and they can see that they're tossing it back and forth and no one's tossing it to you anymore. Mild form of exclusion, right? And what what the researchers saw was that it lights up the same region of the brain as physical pain, Hmm. that we experience exclusion as physical pain. So they were so shocked by that. They were like, well, wait a minute, what happens if you're excluded by people you don't like? So they had, they did studies with African-American people being excluded by someone who they thought identified as a white supremacist or as a Nazi, still painful. They did, they did five or six different exclusion studies where they looked at cutting that different ways. And it didn't matter. It came down to, we still experience it as pain. Mm-hmm. 
And then they thought, well, huh, if that's the case, do pain pills work? And they found that, yes, in fact, it does, that if you give people anything from Advil to the heavy stuff of Oxycontin, that it disconnects this feeling of social pain. And I think that's actually underneath our opioid problem in the country because people go on opioids for legitimate injuries and how an opioid works, you know, you break your arm. It doesn't make the arm magically stop hurting. It disconnects the pain sensors in the brain. So for a period of time, you stop feeling the pain, medicine wears off, you start to feel the pain again, you take the medicine. Well, what's happening is during that window of time, you are having a magical but invisible break from all the social pain you feel in your life. If you feel excluded at work, if you feel excluded in your family, if you feel excluded in society, which I know many people of color do, right? So all of that was super fascinating to me. And what we know is that we wired to be in a tribe with each other and we are tuned to signs that we're starting to get marginalized or excluded. And our biology is designed to wake us up and say, watch out, you're about to get kicked out of the tribe. You need to, you need to form these relationships. Now, what's important to know is it doesn't matter if you're liked by the tribe, you just need to feel valued by the tribe, mm -hmm. meaning what you bring to it people get enough value from it that they're not gonna kick you out. Well, now pivot to George Floyd murder and, and how, much we, how much systemic oppression and racism excludes and harms people on a, on a daily basis. And then we had this very brutal, brutal murder that we all witnessed and felt the pain of. And I think that that's what drove this huge response, not only in the United States where there were protests every week for weeks and weeks and weeks, but it was global. It was global. And I think that the pandemic really brought to life for everyone, A, how connected we are and how much we care about each other and how much injustice just cannot be tolerated any longer. And I think it was this perfect storm of these things where company after company was being really challenged by their employees. You know, and I, I heard from CEOs saying, my employees are really pressing on us to do a better job around this and to take a stand around Black Lives Matter and to really start to get involved with voter rights and these things. So there's an awakening that ha has happened that's not going to go back in the box. You know, it's, it's, and the, and the good news is the awakening also was around this concept of privilege. And it's a painful awakening when you have privilege and you realize, oh, wait, I have this whole thing that I didn't know, even know I had. Um, it's been a really interesting period of time for all of that. Hmm. Just letting that wash over me a little bit because it has been quite the experience and to work through that experience, it has been interesting. And I am so passionate about talent development leaders, particularly folk who have asked me, how can I support you, right? I've gotten that quite a bit during this pandemic. Um, and I haven't always known what to say to these people, but I am hoping that folk who are listening to this podcast today may receive some, what I call golden nuggets, some, some little tips that can help them based on this report, particularly for folk, not just people of color, but anyone um, so they can understand the importance of connecting. So I, I just really liked um, a lot of the, the data and the stats that you all have in that report, but just wondering what can we leave with them? You talked about power and privilege and, you know, there are people who do have that power and privilege. They can change 
um, the environments that we're in. They can make people feel a sense of belonging in the workplace, not just for people of color, but for everyone. Absolutely. Well, a couple things. One is, you know, there are a handful of people in the world that truly believe that their race is, is, is better and they truly believe that other people are not good and they intend to do harm. I'm not talking about those people. It's, I don't know if we can ever get through to those people. I think some can be reformed, but what I'm talking about is the majority of people who care, but maybe didn't know, right? And one of the critiques I've had about the DNI movement is that folks wanted to try to address these topics without getting into the really hard stuff. So mm -hmm. we were talking about unconscious bias, right? And we were talking about stereotypes and some of these things. And a lot of it was also made to, to be comfortable, like, oh, it's not your fault. You didn't know these things. These were things that were instilled in you and, and now it's time to become awake, which is a great place to start. Don't get me wrong. But we can't truly change society if we're not willing to go into the hard stuff of systemic oppression, unearned privilege, and the messiness that all of that is, right? There's going to be some discomfort, and we can't make it better without leaning into the discomfort of that. And also, people with privilege having to do the work of working through their own discomfort, right? And not asking other people to teach them. I know so many of my friends of color are so exhausted being the educators. And I can even hear that a little bit in your voice, Yolanda, like so many people have asked me what I need and that's still, ask, that's still asking you to teach them. There's, there's some expectation of work on your part as opposed to them going and doing a little bit of homework and maybe figuring out and then coming with some ideas or something. So I also know that there's just an exhaustion. And this ties into the hybrid workplace report too, because one of the things that happened when everyone was home, people of color got a nice break from their racist coworkers. You know, they, they got to be comfortable. They didn't have to change their hair. They could just wear their hair naturally. They didn't have to put up with those insensitive comments and those microaggressions and micro insults that happen all day, every day, maybe on Zoom. But you know what? It feels a little different when you can close the laptop or end the meeting or take the camera off than when someone is standing a foot away from you and talking to you that way. And so I think that's, if I could do research right now, I would really love to measure that. Like, how much did that create a sense of protection and safety that people weren't used to having during their workday that now they don't want to give up? And at the same time, that window of time was overlaid by all this pain and grief around George Floyd and the pain, you know, the centuries long pain of these communities also being brought to the surface. So uh, it's very complex and complicated, but I can imagine that BIPOC folks are 10 times more exhausted than the white folks are at this point in the pandemic. You know, the work definitely continues and I'm glad that people like yourself um, are just really just being a light. I think it was just very nice to come across the conference that I can't, I don't even remember the name of it because there were so many things virtually going on this spring and this past winter, but just seeing people who are white actually say, no, this is not right. Or, you know, or just, just providing research and knowledge and data and statistics to back what we all know. I think um, it's just been very inspiring for me as somebody who's a mid-career professional. And I have 
I have a ways to go in this career. And I, I do need people who are allies to, to wrap themselves virtually around me and say, you know what, we're here for you. And, you know, we want to learn and we're going to take that upon ourselves to learn. So we're going back to the workplace. <laughs> maybe, maybe not every day. Maybe it's not going to be Monday, Friday. People are figuring out what days of the week and all of this. Oh my goodness. But what do you want to leave us with? If there is one thing you want to leave us with as we kind of conclude and in, in talking about particularly the hybrid workplace, what would you like to say to all the folk out there who listen to this show? It's a great question. One of the things I think we saw during the pandemic is that we need to really rethink work getting done and when we need to be together. We do far too many meetings. There's just far too many meetings. <laughs> so if we could find a way to cut down meetings, we would all be way more productive. But we did see during the pandemic that we didn't have to be in the same physical space to get stuff done. There was a lot of online collaborative tools. We didn't even have to talk at the same time. You could work on the document today. I could get in there tomorrow and we'd make progress. Uh, one of the things I like about Voodle and why I partnered with them is that they have created this wonderful tool for doing short async videos. It's a little bit like TikTok for business, except you can just keep the stream of the conversation going and you add back all this bio data of seeing someone's facial expressions and hearing their tone of voice and, and things that we lose when we use email and Slack as a way of communicating, which can also spin out of control if we're not hearing tone of voice correctly. So part of it is looking for some new tools, async tools that allow work to move forward without necessarily everybody being around the table because we're gonna to have to still solve that everyone being around the table issue. If we go back to some people are in the office Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, and some people are at home, then you're still gonna have some people missing out on those water cooler conversations, the comment that happens on the way into and out of the meeting. Even if folks are on Zoom, they miss the, the walk from the snack jar into the office, into the room, right? So we're gonna to have to find ways to give people access to those moments and those moments don't just live in person. And then we can take some of the productivity work and move it out of things and give people opportunities to, to co-work using some of these tool sets. And the tool sets are evolving. A lot has been developed just in the last six months, but it needs more work. Otherwise, we're going to quickly go back to the remote workers are disconnected and not feeling included and, and like they belong. And everyone at the office is going to go back to having those moments. And we're not, we're going to miss this opportunity to completely revision how we do work. Well, it seems like you have just a plethora of information and research. I will definitely be encouraging folk to check you out online, to look at your website that's going to be in the show notes and to be sure to connect with you. So thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us on the show today, Dr. Britt. And I look forward to continuing to follow you and purchasing one of your books because I don't have one on my shelf yet. So I'll be sure to go online and purchase Wired to Connect. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Yolanda. And it's lovely to connect with you and you're doing amazing work. Just keep going at it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the L&D Lounge. Don't forget to check out the show notes to receive your free chapter from Dr. Britt's book, Wired to Connect, and to read the hybrid workplace report by Voodle. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss any future episodes. Stay healthy and be well.